Good morning, church. All right, if you got your Bible, I want you to take it and open with me to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. For those of you who don't know me, I have been here, uh, I've been around a good bit, but if you don't know me, my name is Dallas Wilson. I am the Millen uh, students, students and Discipleship Pastor there, and uh, I'm just glad to be back here with you this morning in Statesboro. You know, I was thinking this morning as you're taking your Bibles and opening to Genesis chapter 32, I was thinking this morning just remembering how faithful God's, God's been to us as a church as a whole, you know, this morning... Uh, our, today We were the third campus, Millen was the third campus uh, of Connection Church, and this morning we got people worshiping from, from Millen to Pooler, right? So we're, we're covering a good part of the state. So God's just been, God's been enormously faithful to us at Connection Church, and I am, I'm glad to be here with you this morning. While you're opening your Bibles to, to Genesis 32, most of you saw on the screen, today we're starting a new series. We're starting a series that we're calling Broken, okay? And in this series, we're going to be looking at some broken people from the Bible, and we're going to be looking at how God dealt with them in their brokenness, how He healed their brokenness, and how He used their brokenness for His glory, okay? And now, as I've been preparing this week, i got to be honest with you, I'm pretty excited to see what God's going to do in this series. I'll tell you why. There are two reasons. Number one, I'm excited to see what God's going to do in this series because the truth is we're all broken people. I don't know if you know that or not, but you're broken, right? We're all broken people, especially me. Listen, I think my wife's in here somewhere. She's uh, got like an olive green shirt on. She's super pretty, about five foot even. If you want to know how broken I am, just go find a little short, beautiful chick in a green shirt, and she will tell you after service just how broken I am, right? And so, man, I'm excited for this series because I'm excited to see how God deals with people in their brokenness. I'll tell you another reason I'm excited. Another reason I'm excited to get to dive into this series is because in this series, we're going to be looking at some people in the Bible who were broken and how God used them. And I think the tendency for us, especially if we grew up in Sunday school, like if you grew up in Sunday school your whole life and, and you've just been in church your whole life, anybody, anybody like that? Amen? You, Sunday schooler? I had one guy say amen. I, don't worry. It's how it's, you grew up in Sunday school, something bad, but you don't say amen. I get it, all right? But I had one guy down here. So listen, we, if you grow up, if that's your tendency, you grew up in Sunday school reading about these characters, I think a lot of times what happens to us is in the process of reading these, the, about the, these Bible stories, these Bible characters, is we romanticize who they really were. And so at the end of it, what happens is, is we look at people like Moses and David and all these people and we say, man, I could just never be used the way God used them. God can never use me the way that God used David. And the, the reality is, I'm, just, I'm, I'm on the stage, and as I've been, as I've been looking through, this through these texts and preparing for this series, and you say something like that, I'm tempted just to look back at you and ask, really? Could God not use you the same way that he used a man who, who committed adultery and then had his best friend murdered? Right? I think God could use you, right? And you know, uh, you know, you read the story of Moses. I just don't think God could ever use me the way he used Moses. Could God not use you the same way that he used a man who committed murder, covered it up, and then routinely disobeyed God throughout his life? You see, what happens is, is we romanticize these stories so much that we forget that these stories are about real people just like us who struggle, who are broken, who are sinners, and need to be healed, who need a Savior. 
And so one thing I'm so excited about as we start this series is I want you to see that if God can use people like Moses, like David, and like Jacob, who we're going to be talking about today, then God can use me and you. It's just a matter of whether we let God deal with our brokenness or not. So that's where we're going today. And listen, before we get started, I just want to ask you, will you pray with me before we, before we open the Bible? Dear God, I thank you so much for, for how you love us, God. I thank you so much. Dear God, that you set your affection on people like me, dear God, people who are sinful and broken and who just continually reject you, God. And I just pray this morning you would forgive us, God. But this morning, dear God, I pray that you would wake us up to how good you really are. And dear God, over the next few minutes, I just pray, God, that the ramblings, the ramblings of a, of a foolish man would be glorifying to your name. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So if you got your Bible open to Genesis chapter 32, you see that we're going to be talking about the life of Jacob. Now, we're going to be looking at Jacob, and what we're going to see is how God came to Jacob and dealt with him in his brokenness. So really, we're not going to be looking so much at how Jacob was broken as we are about how God deals with broken people, which this is really good news, okay? Because if God dealt with Jacob who was broken like we're about to read, then that means we can count on God to deal with us the same way. All right? And if you're a note taker, I want you to write this down. I'm going to go ahead and give you the main point of what we're about to see in the scripture today. If you're a note taker, write this down. Today's main point is this. God is relentless in his pursuit of broken people to change them and redeem them for his glory. If you're a note taker, write it down. That's where we're going today. God is relentless in his pursuit of broken people to change them and redeem them for his glory. Now, let me give you a little context before we read the passage, all right? Uh, for most of you, if you grew up in Sunday school, right, you know the story of Jacob. Jacob is the grandson of Abraham, right? Everybody remember God came to Abraham and gave him a promise. You're, you're have, uh, and your children will be as numerous as the seashores, and through them I will bless all the world, right? Everybody remember Abraham? And so now we've come to a point in that promise where Abraham has two grandsons, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob, and we're going to be looking at the life of Jacob. Now, as we come to Genesis 32, here's what I want you to realize. We're, we're coming to the end of the focus on Jacob's life in the, in the Genesis narrative, okay? We're coming to the point where it's about to shift the focus off of Jacob and on to somebody else. So this is like the closing chapters of Jacob's life. And here's what I want you to see. As we read this text today, you need to understand something. Jacob, at this point in his life, has lived his entire life as a thief and a liar and a manipulator, okay? That is who Jacob was. Now, I'm not going to ask you to say amen if that's who you are, right? But you know where you're at. Oh, God, that was a joke, guys. You know where you're at. He has lived his whole life as a thief and a liar and a manipulator. And if you, if you know the story, he stole Isaac's birthright, Okay? He, he conned Isaac out of his inheritance. And then, as, as Isaac, I mean, he stole Esau's birthright. And then as his father Isaac is getting close to death, he goes back and he steals Esau's blessing again. So this is a guy, listen, I want you to know how jacked up this is. Some of you would not have any problem uh, messing over a, a stranger, right? But it takes a special kind of person to mess over your brother twice, okay? And that's what Jacob's done. 
He's stolen Esau's inheritance. He's stolen his blessing. And then he's on, on the run. He goes to his uncle's house where he finds, he finds his wife's, all right? And then he not only, he, again, he manipulates his uncle's flocks so that he gets the better of the flocks, okay? What I'm, I just want you to, you got to understand this before we go into this text. We're dealing with a scumbag, all right? Now, that should make some of you feel good, Amen. We're dealing with a guy who is worse than what you are. And what we're going to see here is we're going to see how, Jake, how God deals with somebody who's as much of a scumbag as Jacob. Now, I want you to see this. Two, th- two ways he's broken. We're about to read Genesis 32. We've already realized that he's a massively sinful person, okay? There is nobody more jacked up than Jacob. But now he's on his way back into Canaan, and there's a small problem. I told you that he stole Esau's blessing and he stole Esau's birthright. So now he's going back into the land where his brother Esau dwells. Now, the last time that Esau saw him, Esau basically said, if I see you again, I'm going to kill you. All right? And now Jacob's coming back into the land, and he knows that he's got to deal with his brother Esau because the last time he saw Esau, Esau said, I'm going to kill you. So not only is he a massive sinner, man, he is in a situation where he is desperate. He is in such a bad situation that if God does not act, that he will not get through it. Now, here's why that's important before we even read. Every one of us is in, is in one of those two places, if not both. Every one of us who came in these doors today is either, number one, a massive sinner, and all of us should say amen to that. We're messed up, jacked up, and broken. Or number two, in a situation so desperate that if God does not act, we can see no way through it. And this is good news because we're about to see how God deals with people in those types of situations. So uh, if you got your Bible, here's what we're going to do. It's such a long portion of text this morning. I'm going to read through verse 12, and then I'm going to give you the first, uh, then we'll, we'll start teaching it, okay? So here's the, as we read, the first thing I want you to see is this. If you're a note taker, point number one is God pursues broken people. Let's read the text. Genesis chapter 32, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read it off the screen with you. This is what the Bible says. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. That's important. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is the camp of God. So he named the place Mahanim. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, This is what you are to say to my lord Esau, your servant. Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there until now. I have cattle and donkeys and sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Hold right there just a second. Keep the verses up on the screen. We're going to verse 7. All right. For those of you who don't know what's going on right here, Jacob has sent some people ahead of him to find out if him and his brother are going to end up trading blows. All right. And now I don't know, maybe some of you guys have never been in a fight, but if you're worried about being in a fight and you send ahead to get a message about whether there's going to be a fight or not, and the person you're going to fight is coming with 400 people, that's not a good situation situation to be in if you're about to throw hands, okay? Right? That's just not where you want to be. 400 men. Jacob scared. Verse 7. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups and the flocks and herds and camels as well. So he breaks up everything into two groups. He's scared to death. Verse 8. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, then that group that is left may escape. Verse 9. Then Jacob prayed. This is really important too. 
Jacob's in the middle of this bad situation. He prays. Oh God, my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. Verse 10, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Verse 11, save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. Verse 12, but you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. All right, first thing I want you to see this morning, we're going, to go ahead, we're going to go ahead and put verse 1 back up on the screen. Here's what I want you to see. First point, if you're a note taker, God is relentless in his pursuit of broken people. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. At this week, as I was preparing for the te- this text, this was a point of conviction that hit me like a ton of bricks. Now, if there was ever someone who deserved to be given up on, it was Jacob. Can we agree on that? He was a thief and a liar and a cheat, and we've all heard our whole lives. There's nothing I hate more than a thief and a liar, right? We've heard that our whole lives. But here, we come to verse 1, and at the very beginning, we realize that despite Jacob's sin, despite all his failures, God is still with him. How do we know? Look at verse 1 with me. It says, the angels of God met him. Now, check this out. Jacob has lived an entire life of sinfulness. And now he's coming back into a situation where he is meeting his brother Esau and evidently God sends angels to accompany him and strengthen him along the way. Now what's Jacob's response to this? Look at verse 2. In verse 2, Jacob says this. Jacob saw this and he said, this is the camp of God. Now listen, let's leave that up there. I want you to see this. A lot of times we miss stuff like this in the text, okay, because we're reading in English. That word there, this is the camp of God. That word in Hebrew camp is mahane. It's, it's, a, singular, uh, it's a singular noun. This is the camp of God, okay? Now look what he says. He, so he named the place Mahanaim, all right? That's a Hebrew word. It literally means two camps, Okay, so here's why this is so important. For what Jacob is seeing and what Jacob is naming this place, you've got to realize what he's saying. He's in the middle of this desperate situation where he's about to be in the middle of a fight with Esau, and he says, this is God's camp and this is my camp. There are two camps here. God is with me. Jacob, in the middle of being scared for his life, God comforts him and says, I am with you. I am with you. God has not abandoned Jacob despite Jacob's sin, despite Jacob's incredible track record of being a scumbag. God is still there. This is is confirmation for Jacob that God hadn't left him. Listen, I read this. This is good. This This is a quote about what's happened here. Jacob's sighting of the angels was visual confirmation of a deeper reality, namely that Jacob had been and would continue to be the object of God's relentless grace, that an intrusive, tenacious, contending, renovating grace was at work on his life to make him to be the man that God intended him to be. This grace would not be shut out, would not let him go, and fought with him and for him at every turn. It's like God will not let go of Jacob. doesn't matter how bad Jacob's going to be. Listen, this week I couldn't wrap my head around this that we serve a God who is this merciful, who is this graceful towards sinners. And as I was thinking about this, there was only one illustration that could illustrate this kind of love to, in, in my mind. And I don't know 
I want to tell you all about, a little bit about my family life to kind of illustrate this. Now, listen, I don't know how you grew up. Man, maybe you had bad parents, but good parents, I don't know. By God's grace, man, I had, I had some good parents. I, had, I, I, grew, I lived with my dad my whole life. He's immensely godly, man. I, I think he's in here somewhere. Uh, he's a big, burly guy. He, you'll hear him laugh in just a second. Don't worry. I thought I might hear him laugh just then. He didn't think that was funny. All right? But I grew up with my dad, and, man, my dad was just... He, he was almost a kind of a very protective guy. And he, he really didn't ever want to let us out of his sight. Didn't matter what was going on. I remember going to Six Flags one time, and the guy, you remember those leashes? I mean, I was like four, man. The guy put me on a leash. It was horrible. But, it, you know, there's a, there's, there was a, there's a story that goes around in our family about how when my, me and my sister were born, that my dad wouldn't let us go. And now most of you, maybe we got some labor and delivery nurses in here. Maybe some of y'all had a kid. Most of you know when you have a baby, a lot of times the, the uh, doctor, the nurse get the baby out. You know, they clean it up. They either hand it to the mother, they hand it to the father. Well, in our case, they handed both me and my sister to my dad. And my dad held us for a few minutes and got the love on us, right? And then the nurse comes back and wants my dad to give us back to her. And my dad says no. Like, the nurse is asking for the child in the hospital. My dad's like, you're not getting this kid, right? My dad would not give us up until the, we had, the nurse had put a little tag around our ankle marking us, okay? Like, he was, he was that protective. He would not let us out of his sight, right? He was that overbearing. And now, here's what I want you to see, right? I look back on that now, and, and, it, and it's funny to me. I kind of laugh. But here's what I want you to see. The way that my dad was, where he was so serious about loving my sister and me. He was so serious about not letting us out of our sight. This is the kind of love that we see God having for Jacob here. It's God saying, I'm not letting you go. I'm not letting you out of my sight. I'll never, ever leave. It doesn't matter what you do. It's overbearing type of love. And now, i got to be honest with you. As I was preparing this week, man, this was a point where God just put me on my face because so many times in life I go into a situation, things turn the least bit south, and I fail to realize that God's still with me. But here's the truth. You're probably the same way. If God did not abandon Jacob, God has not abandoned you. And I can't help but wonder, listen, I can't help but wonder how our lives would be different if in every situation, no matter how bad your marriage was, no matter how, who you've lost, no matter what's going on, I can't help but wonder how our lives would be different if in every situation we remember God's with us. He hadn't left us. He's here. Because, man, something goes wrong. What's the first thing we're crying? God, are you even here? Are you even near? Here's what, let me make this clear. Listen, I want to make this real clear to you for two types of people. To the believers in here, listen to me. It does not matter what you've done. does not matter what situation you're in. Believer, God is still with you. Now, non-believer, listen. Some, and what I mean by non-believers, you might be here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never surrendered your life to Him. Maybe you're here because somebody dragged you here. Maybe you don't even really want to be here. Maybe you've been coming here because it's a cool church and right all the other churches or whatever and you don't want to go, okay? Whatever the reason you're here is, all right? Listen. Here's what I want you to understand. You have not outsinned the cross of Christ. You have not sinned so much that God would look to you and say you are not worth saving because if God looked to Jacob and said you're worth saving, he looks to you and says the same thing. Now, 
I said our lives would be different, and I really think they would if we could just realize in these situations, man, no matter what, no matter how hard life is, that God's still there. I think our lives will be different. And Jacob shows us that our lives will be different. Look at verse 9. Can we put verse 9 back up on the screen? Verse 9 says this. And Jacob prayed. All right, listen, we're going to walk through this real quick. I want you to see a couple things, a couple ways that God's presence changed Jacob's mindset, okay? The first way is this. It says Jacob prayed. When Jacob was in a bad situation, when Jacob realized that God was with him, it led him to pray instead of complain. I wonder how true that is in our life. Because, man, and listen, I, I, I love people. I'm an extrovert, but there's rarely a day that goes by where my life is not filled with either me complaining or hearing the complaints of others far more than we're praying about situations. It led him to pray and not complain. That's the first thing. Notice this. Look, put verse 10 up there, though. It not only led him to pray instead of complain, this humbled him. Well, look what he says. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. What's he saying? God, I'm, I don't deserve how good you've been to me. God, I don't deserve what you're doing in my life. God, I don't deserve all this kindness. Now, and the, more I, the more I interact with Christians, the more I grow in my own spiritual life, the more I realize there are times in our life where we think God has, owes us something. Right? We think God is indebted to us because we come to church and we serve on Sundays and we serve in Orange and nobody else is serving in Orange and we go to Connect Group. God, you owe us something. God, you owe it to me to be happy. And let me just tell you this morning, I don't think God is so much concerned with your happiness as he is your holiness. And if you got what you deserved, you'd be in hell tonight. It humbles us. God's presence humbles us. It puts us down. We say, God, I don't deserve this. Thank you for being so kind to me. How grateful are you? But look at this too. It, it not only humbles him, it not only leads him to pray, it causes him to remember God's faithfulness. Verse 10, I, when I crossed this river, I had only my staff, but now I have become two camps. You know what Jacob's doing? He's looking back at everything God's already done. He's saying, God, when I came across the Jordan the first time, I had only my staff and I had a rock as my pillow. But now when I'm coming back, God, you've blessed me and you've been faithful. What's Jacob encouraging us to do there? He's encouraging you when you get into these bad situations to look back at what God's already done and then you can know God's going to be faithful in the future. So many times we get in these situations and we act like God has never delivered us from anything. We forget everything He's already done in the past. But he's been faithful. It causes him to remember God's faithfulness. And the last thing is this. It causes him to, remembers, to remember God's promise. Verse 11. Or verse 12, I'm sorry. Verse 12 says, But you have said, But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Listen. He's humbled before God. He's praying before God. He remembers that God's been faithful in the past. And now he remembers what God has promised him in the future. Christian, believer, let me assure you of this. 95% of the problems in your life come from the fact that you do not remember what God has already promised you. Most of the time, those promises are in this word. You just hadn't opened the Bible to see it. He remembers God's promises. So that's the first thing I want you to see this morning. I want you to see that God is relentless in his pursuit of broken people. And when we remember that, it changes the way we live. 
Let's look at this, though. Point number two, if you're a note taker, point number two. God initiates relationships with broken people. Let's look at verse 13. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift from his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. Verse 16, he put them in care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau see, meets you and asks, who do you belong and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my lord Esau and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second, the third, and all the others who followed the herd, you are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. Verse 20, and be sure to say your servant Jacob is coming behind for he thought I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending ahead later when I see him. Perhaps he'll receive me. So what's he doing? He's softening Esau up here, right? He's saying, man, this guy's going to kill me. I'm going to soften him up. Verse 21, so Jacob's gift went ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. Now here, listen, this is where it gets real important, starting in verse 22. Follow with me here. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, two female servants, and 11 sons and crossed the fort of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. Verse 24. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till the break of day. All right. We got a little work to do here. Now, let me, let's, let's clean up what's going on. It says, Jacob was left alone in the camp, and he wrestled with a man to the break of day. Now, later on in this passage, Jacob is going to identify that man as God. So Jacob is wrestling with God in this camp, okay? Now, God in human form, anytime you see that in the Bible, listen, it's Jesus, all right? So let's assume, we're, we're, we know from, from uh, theology that this is Jesus that has come down and wrestled with, with Jacob, okay? And so put verse 24 back up there. This is where this is really, this is really interesting to me. It says that they, rest, that they wrestled till daybreak. Now, I just got a quick question, show of hands. Has anybody ever seen two grown men wrestle? Like, for real? A few of us, all right? I got to tell you all a story. Doesn't involve me, praise God, all right? But there are, two, I, there are two types of men in my age range. Let me just, let me throw this qualifier there. There are the men who actually stay, like I'm saying 23 to like early 30s, all right? There are two types of men. There are the men who actually stayed in shape after high school and college and don't feel the need to prove that to anybody, right? They just, they're in shape and they did well. They still run, still work out, all those things, all right? Then there are the men who didn't stay in shape after high school and college and feel the need to prove to everybody they're still as good as they once were, Okay? All right, is everybody tracking with me? We, we're laughing because we know it's the truth, all right? And some of you women are like hitting your husband like, you need to go to the gym, all right? That's not my place. But anyway, I was at a wedding a couple, uh, about a couple months back. I was at this wedding, and man, these two guys uh, kind of locked up. And like, it, was, it was not a fight. It was a true wrestle, okay? Like it was a true tussle. And for the first 15 seconds, it was a great fight, man. But both of these guys were the second kind of person, the people who hadn't really took care of themselves since high school, all right? And both of these guys, after 15 seconds, they were sweating profusely, breathing like they had just run the Boston Marathon, and blood was all over the place. 15 seconds. 
I'm not exaggerating. Literally, it was one of the most disturbing sights I've ever seen. Like, it wasn't like watching a UFC fight where it was kind of entertaining. I was like, man, this is, this is weird, guys. You know, I feel like we should break this up, right? So we get them broke up, and I mean, they're over there. I mean, they're struggling. I'm just like, what, what happened? You know, you don't even understand it. But as I, as I was reading this text, I thought about that story because, listen, these guys literally wrestled for 15 seconds and couldn't go, go on anymore. Like white towels was flowing in, flowing in like Rocky Four, okay? I mean, these guys were gassed. The Bible says in one verse, it gives us one verse to describe this. They wrestled for what, six to eight hours? They wrestled from night until daybreak. Now, you got to use your imagination here when you're reading that. Can you picture what Jacob was like after this scene of wrestling? I mean, the guy wrestled for six hours. He had to be exhausted. No doubt he was drenched with sweat, and he's probably bleeding because he was wrestling Jesus. And I mean, if you're wrestling Jesus, let's just get real. You're going to lose, all right? So can you, you got to picture what's actually going on here. But now, what's more important than actually the fight itself is you got to notice who started this fight. Look at verse 24. It says, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. So evidently, God is the one who came into this camp and initiated the fight with Jacob. Jacob didn't do anything to make God come. God just came of his own accord. Listen, this is the beautiful thing about the grace of God in our lives. This is the beautiful thing about the grace of God in Jacob's life. Jacob did not do one thing to warrant God coming to him and being a part of his life and saying, Jacob, I want you. Jacob didn't do anything. He simply was praying in the middle of the night and God came. And see, here's what i got to have you understand about grace today. As I was preparing this text, here's what I realized I need to understand about grace. That the grace of God is not warranted by anything we do or do not do. The grace of God is pursuing us, no matter what we do. So many times, listen, believers, so many times, I know this is true for you because it's true for me. I think the grace of God is, is going to come into my life when I read my Bible the right way, when I've prayed enough, when I've fasted enough, when I have had family worship time with my wife and little girl, when I have said my prayers with my little girl at night, when I have told other people about Jesus, then the grace of God will come to me. And this text is teaching us the exact opposite, that it does not matter what you do, God's grace is coming. And that's why grace but this isn't just true here in this one point this one moment I want you to see this is true of Jacob's whole life if you got a Bible it's going to be on the screen We're going to look, I want you to see how this has worked in Jacob's whole life look at Genesis 25 22 and 23 it's going to be on the screen it says this the babies this is when this is when Jacob is still in the womb all right the babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Esau will serve Jacob. Here's why that's so important. Jacob has not been born yet. And God is saying, in my grace, I am going to bless Jacob over Esau. Jacob did nothing to deserve that. That's why it's grace. Look at, verse 20, look at chapter 28, verses 10 through 17. This is when Jacob has stolen Esau's birthright and is on the run because of his sin. And this is what it says. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. 
When he reached a certain place, he stopped there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and laid down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land of which you are living, the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Listen, God has come to Jacob as he is on the run because of his sin and said, Hey, Jacob, I'm going to bless you and make you great. Why? Because Jacob had a great quiet time that morning, and man, he was just, he took his like picture with latte and Bible at Three Tree and put it on Instagram for everybody to see. Hashtag quiet times, hashtag I love Jesus. No, that's not why God blessed him. He had just stolen from Esau, and God's come to him in blessing. That's grace. It means you don't deserve it. Look, but this is, he, he, we come to this point in his life. Let's go to the end of his life. Look at verse, chapter 35, verses 9 through 15. This is when Jacob's an old man. After our, he's getting older. And Jacob returned from Paddan Haram. God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and, mo- and increase in number. A nation and community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. Verse 12, the land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Verse 13, then God went up from him at that place where he had taught with him. Listen, this is at the end of Jacob's life. At this point, Jacob has lived a consistent lifestyle of sin. And God comes to him and blesses him anyway. Here's what I want you to see. The grace of God is pervasive no matter how you've lived up to this point. It doesn't exclude you from the grace of God because you've been a sinner. Because guess what? If sin excluded us from the grace of God, we all need to go home and close the doors right now. Here's why, this is why it's important. Because the theme of Jacob's life from beginning in the womb until he bowed and took his final breath was about grace. And this is important for you and it's important for me because here's why it's important to understand that we were saved in the beginning by grace. We didn't do anything to deserve it. We are sustained right now by grace. And when we die and go to heaven, it will only be because of the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't try to work yourself in. And now, this just kills swagger. This kills, this kills this idea where we are the Christian elite because we come to church on Sunday and we serve and we go to connect group, so we've got it a little bit more figured out than everybody else. This kills that idea. Because what God's saying is it doesn't matter how good you are, on your best days, your best works are as filthy rags before me. you still got to have grace. God came to Jacob. God comes to us. And now, if I can have just a second for, for you here this morning. If you're, if you're here and you're lost, you don't have a relationship with Christ, listen, I want you to tune me in right here. This is for you, all right? 
Because you're reading this, and I'm telling you that God initiates relationships with lost people, with broken people, and you say, well, God sent angels to Jacob. God came down and wrestled to Jacob, but God's never done that to me. Here's what I want you to understand. The same way that God initiated relationship with Jacob, he is initiating relationship with you. And now he's not sending you angels, but he sent his son from heaven to this earth where he lived a sinless life and died on the cross, not for his own sin, but for your sin, and then rose again three days later so that you could have a relationship with him. In the same way, listen to me, I don't want you to leave here without having this offer. In the same way that Jacob had a relationship with God this morning, you can have a relationship with God this morning. He's already pursuing you through Christ. Here's the last thing I want you to see. Point number three, if you're a note taker, point number three. God changes broken people. God changes broken people. Verse 25. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Side note, right? We know he's wrestling with Jesus, right? Because one touch and Jacob's like, oh, my hip, right? And now some of you got out of bed this morning and we're like, oh, my hip, all right? But that's a different kind of pain, all right? Evidently, Jesus has been holding back his entire time. But when Jesus gets ready to go to work, right, one touch and his hip's out. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, Listen, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Verse 27. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Verse 28. Then the man said, your name will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. Verse 30. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It was because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Verse 31. Then the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. All right, here's the last thing I want you to see. God changes broken people. God changes broken people. We come to this exchange between God and Jacob, and it's where we see God's ultimate purpose for pursuing Jacob this whole time. His whole life, for his whole life, God's been after him. And we see why God's finally now come to him. It's to change him. It's to make him into the man that God has always desired him to be. Look at verse 26. In verse 26, we see the initial signs of change in Jacob. And Jacob's desperate plea for God's blessing, we see the very essence of repentance. God says, let me go. Daybreak's here. And th this is pretty important, right? Because if daybreak comes and Jacob and God are still wrestling, Jacob sees God's face. You know what's going to happen to Jacob? Right? You don't see God face to face and live, right? So he's doing this for his protection. He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The essence of repentance is a change of heart. It's where the very nature of our heart is changed from self-dependence to desperation on God. It's where we go from wanting control of our own lives to wanting sin, to wanting flesh, to wanting God. And what we see when Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me, is repentance in his heart. Because Jacob has gone from his whole life saying, I will take, I will conquer, I will have, I will make right until God, if I have everything in this world and I don't have you, I have nothing. That's repentance. That's a change of heart. And now here's what I want you to know. I want to ask you this morning. 
Have you ever had the point in your life where you've come to that place of repentance to say, God, my whole life I have lived as if I was in charge just like Jacob. I have lied and I have manipulated and I have pursued sin, but God, I want you more than I want myself. Have you ever come to that place? Because people, that's what salvation actually is. It's coming to the end of yourself. Saying, God, I want you. And now for believers, listen. If you're a believer here this morning, this is a daily fight for us. This is a daily wrestling match for us. Where we get up and day after day after day, we do what I call little R repentance. And it's where we humble ourselves before God and we come into the posture like Jacob and say, God, I will not let you go until you bless me. Please change my heart. It's an everyday thing. But then, God, Jacob moves from repentance to confession. So he's repenting of his sin, and then he goes to confession. Look at verse 27. And you got to understand this. In the Bible, conf- that when you say your name, when somebody was to ask you your name, that is an act of self-disclosure. What you are doing in that moment is you are saying it's a confession of this is who I am. Now, in the context of God and Jacob wrestling, what we have to understand Jacob's name being revealed is as a confession of his guilt. God looks to Jacob and says, what is your name, son? And Jacob responds, my name is Jacob. Jacob's name meant deceiver, meant manipulator, meant fraud. And so when he looks back to God and says, my name is Jacob, what he is actually doing is saying, I am who you say I am, God. I am broken. I am a liar and a thief, and I need you. It's a confession of sin. Confession is the owning of who you are and what you've done outside of Christ. It's not... See, we get it so mixed up so many times. We come in, Sunday, come in on Sunday morning, put on our good clothes, we lay our shoulders back, comb our hair right, wear our Easter dresses, and we want to look like we've got it all together. But the Bible here is urging us to do something that's very different. It's urging us to stop pretending that we're not broken and confess our brokenness outside of Christ. Listen, I, I, and if I can just be honest with you, I don't ever want to pretend that I'm not broken. There's too much pressure in that. There's too much pressure for me to come in here and get on this stage and look at you and act like I'm not the biggest sinner in this room. Listen, I tell my people in, in, uh, in Millen all the time, if we could take my thoughts and put them, hook them up to a projector, everything I thought this past week, and hook them up to the projector screen for you to watch, y'all would run me out of here and never put me back on the stage. Why? Because I'm just as broken as anybody in this place. And I don't ever want to pretend I'm not broken. Don't pretend you're not broken here this morning. Because here's the good thing. God doesn't let our confession lie. Verse 28. When there is repentance and confession, God brings healing and change. Look at verse 28. Then the man said, then God said, Your name will no longer be Jacob but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and overcome. What's he just doing? He said, no, 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 no. Your name is not liar. Your name is not fraud. Your name is not thief. You are not defined by your former sins. Your name is Israel, which means I have striven with God. God strives with me. He's changed who he is. And now, believers, 
This is, this is super important for us right here today because I firmly believe this. We, this I, and I would say this is probably one of Brandon's biggest keys too. And he wrote a book about this, right? I believe that the majority of problems in our Christian life come from the reality that we forget we are who God says we are and not what our former sins and Satan and guilt say we are. Jacob's name was no longer Jacob, it was Israel. Your name is not defined by who you are or who you were. It is defined by who Christ is and what he did on the cross and when he busted hell wide open and broke the grave three days later. That's who you are. And now one last thing that you've got to notice. When Jacob leaves this place, his brokenness is not removed, it's just transformed. Did you catch the fact that it says he was limping when he left? Most Bible commentators tell us they think Jacob walked with a limp his entire life. Why would God give him that limp? It's because God didn't want to remove his brokenness because it's in our brokenness that we remember our desperate need for God. And when we realize how much we need God, then God can use us. So the question today, and we're going to close like this, is have you ever come to the point where Jacob was at, where he realized, man, God is pursuing me. God is initiating a relationship with me today through the power of Jesus Christ on the cross. And if I surrender my life to God, he will change me. Some of you are here this morning. Listen, I firmly believe that today is the day of salvation for you where God changes your name. And we're not going to do a hand raise. We're not going to do any of that stuff. But here's what I would say to you. If you are serious about wanting God to change your name, if you are serious about wanting to encounter God the way that Jacob encountered God, here's what I would encourage you to do. When we stand up and have this worship time, I'm going to ask some prayer team members to be down here. Would you come and find them and tell them that I want that moment with God? that I want my name to be changed. And here's what you do. You just repent of your sin and you just confess. You do the same thing Jacob did. You say, God, I don't want myself anymore. I don't want my sin anymore. I'm a sinner without you. Change me. And I promise you, you will. And then here's the last thing. Listen, for so many of us who are believers, we've had this moment, this encounter in our lives with God. And then what happens is, is we leave this place and we forget it ever happened. The feeling comes back in our hip, and we start to walk like, man, we walk without a limp. We think, I don't need God. I've got this under control myself. I'll take care of it myself. And slowly but surely, we start walking without a limp. Listen, this morning, believer, you might need to do like what I was talking about just a few seconds ago, where you have that small R repentance. And you come down here and you worship and you get on your knees and say, God, I want to be just like Jacob to where I'm so desperate for you and so desperate for your plan in my life and so desperate for your word and your blessing in my life that I can't move or walk without you. Those are the only two places we can be. So as the band comes back up, I want to pray for us. God, I thank you for loving us. God, I thank you for changing our name, dear God. I thank you that we are not what sin and death and Satan say we are, dear God, but we are believers, dear God, 
who have been redeemed by your cross and our name has been changed for the glory of your kingdom, God. So I just pray right now that you would focus our hearts on you. Dear God, I pray that we would have a moment of repentance here where we focus our hearts and say, God, you are all we want and you are all we need. In Christ's name.